Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider episode 108. I'm Sarah Kachansky from Founders Factory. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at 2022 predictions. Uh, It's never been this exciting to be in the insurance industry and 2022 is more than likely to hold some pretty big things. So today we want to take a look at others' predictions for 2022 as well as making some of our own. As always, I'm not alone, but joined by a panel of amazing guests. Um, So first off, starting with my co-host today, that would be John Bean, Client Director and Insurance Lead at 11FS. How are you? Hello, Sarah. I'm very well, thank you. Um, This is my my last gig before I close my laptop for Christmas holidays. Uh, I've got the mulled wine on the stove, so um, yeah, can't wait to get through this and uh, let the holidays begin. Well, for our listeners, John is looking very festive. He has made the effort. He's got his Santa's hat on and um, it makes me feel slightly Grinch-like dressed (laughs) head to toe in black in the corner. I should have bought some tinsel. Um, Also making a debut on InsureTech Insider today, we have Rick Fox, VP and Head of Agency Sales at Vertifor. How are you today, Rick? Good, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Also the host of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast, so not my first time in front of the microphone. Well, I was going to ask you to tell me a little bit more about yourself, but um, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Uh, Yeah. So I have a very unique background in in this industry. So I started off as an agency owner. I grew my scratch agency up from nothing and acquired six more along the way and bundled them all together and and exited the agency side uh, about about 11 years ago and have been in InsurTech ever since, working at Vertifor, one of the the largest... uh, United States-based uh, insure tech companies, and uh, like I said, also hosting our podcast at this point so that we have uh, more of a thought leader voice in industry. And um, I kind of see myself as, because I was an agent, uh, as an evangelist for the, the the industry and for agencies particularly, uh, and just love to get information out as much as I can. So glad to be here and excited for the conversation. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you have a very professional setup, as I, I now understand, with your, your podcasting background. So um, let's get this conversation started. So first up, we're going to take a look at some predictions that have already been made about 2022. Um, so just to recap, for last year, we had embedded insurance skyrocketing, everyone getting funding, e-scooters taking over. That was Nigel, not me. Regular listeners will understand that joke. Um, And car manufacturers partnering with insurance companies to provide insurance as an add-on. So let's see how many of those made the list for 2022. Uh, These have come from a range of articles, reports and sources, including Entrepreneur, uh, ING, The Motley Fool and Deloitte. Um, So first up is the most popular prediction by far, and that is that insurance premiums are going to go up. So according to the Swiss Re Institute, the cost of premiums is expected to increase. Um, The company projects global insurance premium growth will be 3.3% in 2022 and 3.1% in 2023. Um, This will exceed the long-term trend in the industry and insurers are in agreement. Uh, Okay, what does this mean? I mean, let's start off with what does this mean for customers? Uh, Does it mean we're going to see less people buying insurance? Does it mean we're going to see you know, come people defaulting on insurance? What, what, what does this mean for, for, for the end customer, I suppose? That's, that's our, our starting point. I don't know who wants to go first. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're entering into a, a hard market at the moment. And for those who don't know, insurance typically goes in cycles. And I think we're in a, a hard market cycle. Um, so if the whole market is, is hardening and 
hardening. And then unfortunately, it means that there'll be rate rises across the board for all customers. Um, but typically, that can lead to customers shopping around for the best prices. Um, or what we might see and what we're seeing a lot recently within the insurtech world is differentiated features um, and experiences and value to try and diminish those decisions based purely on price. So I'd hope to see some innovation here. Um, and I think this is definitely an opportunity for insurers to step into um, in the harding market and stand out from the crowd. Everything John said is spot on. Like for me, it's it, this is the hardening market. Having been an agency owner and gone through as an agency owner the uh, in the states when we had our uh, our housing crisis back in 2008, 2009, insurance rates went up. And so the 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 winners of that are agencies, in, in this case, the, the carriers are going to raise their prices. The agencies have the ability to represent more than one carrier. The, the agencies that are meeting, like this is the case then, it's the case now, it's even the case, one of my predictions for 22 that I will continue every year until all agencies are there. But you have to meet your customers where they want to live. John mentioned value. Uh, Deloitte actually did a study two years ago that said that three out of five insureds uh, felt like once they gave that first check or paid their first premium to an agency, they never heard from them again. So if rates are going to go up and you're going to continue to pay more, I better get some value for that. So yes to John's point on shopping being more prevalent, but mainly if you're out there listening and you want to offset the, the rise in price, make sure your customers see value in the relationship and the loyalty that they have for you. And that won't be, it won't, you won't feel the impact nearly as much. So for me, this really is about meeting your customer where they want to be met, adding value. Uh, today's consumer is massively different than it was even 24 months ago before the pandemic with expectations. So meet your customer where they are, add the value. And I think that you can offset the, the rise in premiums by just giving them something that they see as value. Is it possible that that will depend on the market though? Because here in the UK, we are incredibly price sensitive, particularly for non-mandatory forms of insurance. So if you're talking about travel insurance or even contents insurance for your home, pet insurance, you know, we the first thing that anybody in the UK does is go to a comparison website and go, okay, well, I feel like I should have this covered, type it in and go, well, that one's cheapest to so give me what I want. So do you think that that will depend on, on where you are in the world as to whether you actually, whether the value will be in, whatever value you add is enough. No, I, I, I think for sure there's a, there's a difference in, in even geographic areas where I live uh, in the States, like from the, the East Coast to the Midwest, there's a different level of uh, the, the Amazon effect, as we call it here, which is, you know, everyone click, click, buy. So to your point, I'm going to go online, I'm going to find the best price and I'm going to buy it. So if it's an ancillary product, like I need pet insurance, then, then yes, price sensitivity is going to always be an issue. Uh, my, my mandate or my challenge to not only the carriers, but the agencies, is if you do a better job of showing value, if it's close, like, it, like if it's one's 10 bucks and one's a thousand bucks, you don't have a chance. But if we have a small differentiator in price, and we get people to understand because I, maybe this is different in, in the UK, but in the States, people still want the combination of good price, 
but they want to feel like they trust the situation. That is a fact. And the situation is based on, is it a credible carrier? One. Is the agency in a position that they are, again, not to beat a dead horse, but that they are giving value, that there is something there that I know that this person is going to take care of me. I know this online experience is what I expect. So to to answer the question, yeah, there's always going to be price sensitivity and there's always going to be shoppers that it just doesn't matter. And we have enough people that are undereducated as it relates to insurance enough that they think they can buy their insurance the same way that they buy tires online or buy a book at Amazon or jeans from Nordstrom, whatever that might be. But at the end of the day, there's still a majority of those folks that want the combination of ease of use, customer experience, but at the base of that is trust and value. So yes to the, there will be some, no to the fact that everyone is doing that. I mean, yeah, I, I think it, uh, you know, the, the point about where you are geographically is, is, is quite important. And to your point, like it kind of depends who you are and where you are. I mean, I mean, John, do you, do you have any kind of final thoughts on this? I guess, do you, my, my concern would be that perhaps we're going to see more, even more people becoming underinsured as a result of this. And we already have a problem with that kind of certainly across Europe and the States. Yeah, I, I think it could go one of two ways. I, I definitely think there could be more underinsurance. But I do think, you know, the pandemic especially has made people question just in general what they're paying for, what, what are they getting? And what we've seen is certainly arise the success of people like Buy Miles, which is usage based insurance. Um, I think people have said, well, if I'm not driving, why am I paying, you know, why am I paying a premium for the whole year? Why aren't I just paying it more on a usage base? And I, so I do think there's actually a large opportunity for insurers to actually provide differentiated services. We talk about value, actually provide fair value products, fair value services that aren't just the standard commoditized products that we've seen in the past. Um, there's also some, I mean, there's some UK regulations coming in with regards to price walking and fair pricing, uh, which might change their nature in terms of switching and actually promote customer loyalty. Uh, so insurers have got an opportunity to actually build long-term value with a customer rather than the short, short-term short quick wins of trying to get them and then hold them and through apathy keep them. So I do think that there's going to be a mindset shift with, with customers from the pandemic. They're more aware of insurance. But I also think there's a mindset shift from insurers as to how can we better serve the needs of our customers in, in a changing world. And I think that's really interesting. And it kind of leads me on to our next prediction, actually. This is not our prediction. This is one that we, we've gathered and, and has actually kind of been prevalent across the industry, which is that climate change and sustainability are key topics. And I think if we're talking about what matters to customers, where their beliefs are, what they value, I think kind of climate change, sustainability, ESG more broadly, including societal elements and governance elements are you know, coming up on people's radars and that they're looking for companies that kind of, you know, meet them where their beliefs are. Um, So, I mean, the the point, the prediction here is that, you know, climate change is having a profound impact on both the liability and the asset side of insurance balance sheets, as I'm sure everybody could guess. We've seen an awful lot of natural disasters this year. It's been terrible, but we've seen floods, we've seen wildfires, we've seen droughts, storms, earthquakes, any anything you can think about a disaster movie is about we've seen one recently and um, we've also had the cop 26 here in the uk so that brings climate change even more to the forefront of people's mind um so i guess 
I guess there's, there's kind of there's, there's two sides to this. Well, there's probably three sides to this. There's on the one side, you know, climate change is important for insurance business models. They have to they have to get it right. <laughs> they have to get their heads around it or, or risk going bust. Um, but then there's the other side of it, which is kind of how how important is it for them to start thinking about where they're investing capital to make sure that those investments are, are meeting any ESG criteria. How important is it for them to have their own ESG criteria out there? To go back to our earlier point about in order to bring customers along with them and say, look, you know, we're ethical or we're we're focusing on you know beneficial societal impact or you know beneficial environmental impacts. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I guess this is a really interesting one to me because there's the, there's kind of two sides to it, but both of them should mean insurers are thinking quite long and hard about this particular factor. Um, John, I'll come to you first on this. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Where do you where do you think insurers should be prioritising? Yeah, I mean, it's a hot topic at the moment. So, I mean, I guess I think firstly, what is clear is uh, sustainability is hugely important. Uh, and we've all got a moral responsibility to support that. Um, and I think it's becoming more clear that uh, genuine action is expected from organisations uh, rather than, you know, we've heard the phrase greenwashing a lot. Um, so I, I think there is an expectation. You mentioned, you know, this could, you know, this could manifest itself through you know, investment choices they make, but we're also seeing it in terms of the capital that's being raised. You know, is it a sustainable business? Is it moving us towards that ECG uh, for betterment? It could manifest itself through, you know, insurance risk factors, um, whether they've actually meeting ECG targets, uh, or it could be even incorporated in products and offerings. You know, we've seen how successful Lemonade has been with its community and it's giving back. I think more and more we'll see you know, insurers offering sort of ECG type bolt-ons or value-added services um, that go some way towards um, a better moral compass or actually more than just an insurance offering. I mean, and Rick, you were nodding along there. Does that does that chime with you as well? Yeah, and I would I would add to that that I think that the the use of technology, like so start at the insurer level, like you, you started this conversation, Sarah, with prices are going up. A lot of that is is a direct correlation to the natural disasters and the n- amount of money that is being spent. Uh, you, you just think of it in black and white. A company looks at their line of loss and sees that it's really high, so they raise their prices. That's that's the generic sense of how that works. Uh, so where I see the 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 influx of technology, the uh, the artificial intelligence, machine learning that these that the insurers, I think, are have a responsibility to be deploying so that they can be out in front of some of this, the claim management and thing that's going on with, with, with all of the natural disasters. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Here in the States, we just went through uh, the, the tornadoes in Kentucky, just, just destroying and killing. And um, is there any way that AI would have been able to predict that? No, but can we start to use technology to figure out where those where those things are prob- more probable, more, and the probabilities are higher, and then there is then there is that that translates into, you know, I think John mentioned earlier that we have these these other products, other offerings, pieces of value that we can give to to our insureds. So I see that all being connected and I see, I see the, you, you can tell me where it's like, but from my conversations of what I know goes on in Europe, and I can tell you exactly what goes on in the States, that the carriers, I believe that the insurers have a bigger responsibility to be more part of that 
process than they are. I think they sit back and go, okay, we have natural natural disasters. This just happened or that just happened, raise prices. I don't know that that's, um, I believe there's a higher responsibility to our to our insureds. And, and exactly what we've been talking about is if we do that and we prepare for that and we use the, we use things to, validate or unvalidate where premiums should be higher, where people should be paying less, where they need to have particular coverages. So there, if something goes wrong, there is the right experience. Then I think you do build that trust. You do build that value. You're, you're probably sensing a theme with me. My theme for 22 is, is value. I really yeah. is. I mean, I haven't I, asked I, you that question yet. Hold on to that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but, 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 I, like we can talk about the numbers and we can talk about what, it, but, but to me, there's a step before that, which is there's a responsibility on the insurers that they need to be better at, at managing, maintaining, using like some, some, especially in the States. Again, I can speak more readily about that. There, there is a, a laggard technology position for a lot of our insurers and to be in a position where you're not only creating ease of use for your, for your agencies and, and then from there for your customers. But a step B that goes right in, in line with that is, like I said, are we, are we using data? Are we, are we using AI or machine learning to, to predict or be ready for certain things? Again, no one would have known these tornadoes were going to destroy Kentucky, but it's in a belt where those things happen. Right. So I, I believe there's a step even before the money part where it's a responsibility on the insurers. I yeah, was going to ask, actually, uh, sorry to cut you off, John, but I was just going to, I mean, it just might fit into what you're going to say, but do you think regulation would play a part to kind of like, you have to be thinking more proactively and we're going to make you think more proactively? Yeah, it was, it was one of the things I was going to touch on. There was, there was some really good points from Rick there. I think, firstly, I mean, I came across a great study, Rick, um, by a company, a US insure tech called, uh, I think it's, is it Kin? Um, yeah, Kin. it's Kin. Yeah, yes, and they, 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 Kin. they do yeah. disaster relief insurance and they had a great case study um, in sort of tornado hurricane hit areas whereby um, they actually sent drones out in advance or they sent, they used new data, you know, kind of geo warning data and sent out comms in advance, which is, you know, a nice little value add. You talk about value, a value add. And then once the storm had hit and people were evacuated, they were able to send drones in after them after the math and actually get the first aerial footages of whether your house has been impacted or not way way before the customer would ever have known this um so i do think there's some really really good examples and it, you know you're right it's all about data and new data sources and technology but then how do you use that to add value for the customer experience um and i think we get one, stuck a lot in sarah's point just just then i'll go back to john but we get stuck in sarah's point that this becomes about the almighty dollar and doing some of the things you're talking about, John, in advance, actually end up helping you, your profitability, because your customers will be more loyal and they will stay longer. And they, if you are with them through thick and thin, they will be with you through thick and thin. Go ahead. I just wanted to throw that yeah, in. Yeah, and, and, and I think as well, that, you know, having that data and that segmentation allows you, you know, to better profile and better risk. Um, I think to your point, Sarah, about um, regulation, I mean, you know, we had a big problem years ago with regards to flooding in the UK and flood hit zones and not being able to get insurance because of high premiums. And actually, you know, that, the government stepped in alongside all the insurers to create the flood re-scheme. We had something similar for terrorism. So I, I do think, you know, whether it's natural disasters, fire or flooding, or whether it's pandemics, 
I, I do think there is a greater responsibility and you know, a, a partnership model, whether that's with the government or whether that's amongst insurers themselves, to actually have schemes that t- you know that handle this so that the weight isn't on a, an actual individual insurer that it's spread um, to the benefit of the customers. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think this is one of those subjects that I think sustainability is not going anywhere. I suspect if I'm invited back on this podcast next year, I'll probably still be talking about it. Um, but I think our final prediction that we've got from the um, external sources we've looked at is um, kind of combines, well, it combines elements of the two predictions we've already talked about, which is that insurers are buckled up to accelerate growth in 2022. Um So despite continuing concerns about COVID-19, most insurers expect an accelerating economic recovery and additional digital technology investments in 2022. Um, So I guess there's there's kind of, there's actually got two arms to it. So one is kind of, they think, okay, economies are going to pick up. So it's, you know, not so much to be worried about. And at the same time, that combined with perhaps the increases in premiums means they're going to have more money to invest in their own technologies. Um, do you do you think they're being too optimistic, or do you think things are going to get better for insurers next year in terms of in terms of growth and revenue? And I guess what we're talking about here is is the big guys. We're not talking necessarily about the the smaller insure techs that perhaps we talk about more often on this show. But you know, there's there's really big names. Um, Rick, do you want to go first on this one and then I'll come back to John? Uh, I can go first. Yeah, I can go first on this one. Yeah, I, 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 you know, you look at the insurers, especially the ones we're talking about here, the, the, the big guys, and uh, they're always, I mean, they're going to predict growth pretty much always. And, and other than maybe last year when the pan, we were dead center in the middle of the pandemic. And, and I think it's a combination of things that they have, they've got a, a metric sitting in front of them that says, if X, then Y, and that to your earliest point was, okay, let's raise premiums and there's our growth. I mean, there's some of that organic growth just in a, in a, in a, in a rate hike. Um, obviously back in, in, I, I've referenced it earlier, the housing crisis back in 2009, the 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 hardened market caused the insurers to then also drop commissions. That that was the other way to raise profits. Uh, so I I think I know a lot of carriers here in the states that I that I have relationships with. Everyone is very um, excited about twenty two. I think that there is obviously in recent weeks there's been sort of an another wave of of trepidation around uh, the Omicron and what's happening now. But I see generally there feels to be a lot of, of positivity and, and um, optimism. So I'm not surprised at all by that. And I mean, I think I generally would sense, and I'm a little with my eyebrow up saying they're always kind of like that. But at the same time, I think there is plenty of reason for optimism in the market. I I see, I see the economy, uh, being strong, um, will it will it level off? Uh, yes, I mean, I have the, here in the states, the housing market has to at some point, um, which obviously impacts everything. And but if it levels off and they have a higher than what they've done in the past rate increase, that's growth. That's what it looks like. I mean, John, what do you think? Do you agree with that, or uh, are you going to go completely the opposite way? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think Rick's absolutely right. I mean, the easiest way to do it is just to raise prices. In a hardening market, that's the first thing that they'll do. Um, I mean, it's 
you know, they, they predict a strong economic outlook, you know, although that could change with, you know, with the pandemic. We've got extortionate utility prices, gas prices, um, supply chain problems. Yeah, there's all things that could impact. Um, and that definitely causes uh, inflation costs, which raise claims costs. But overall, I agree. I think profitability rise. But I don't think that's just for the, the big names that we talk about. I mean, we've seen from the flurry of M&A activity that's happened in certainly in 2021, and then all the sort of seed funding and seed investments that's happened within insurtech. I think it's a bumper record-breaking year. I can't remember the exact figures. Oh, yeah. Um, Shocking. So it's, not, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, so it's not just the big players. I think people genuinely recognize, you know, and we've been saying this for a long time, you know, insurance is ripe for disruption. I actually think this is now the time for insurance. Um, I think with profits rising, you'll get more capital investment. I think that will be spread out to the big players and the insurtechs. Um so, you know, it's, it's game on, really, in the marketplace. And I don't think it's necessarily just the big will be the ones that are successful. I think to tie it all, all together, I mean, it, it, the important thing is going to be that that translates back to better products and services for the end customers. Because if there's Value. more money sloshing around, we can all see the money sloshing around. Everybody, you know, like by, by money sloshing around, I don't mean for the average person. I mean, going into startups, M&A, you know, valuations, IPOs, well, not talk about the US insurtech IPOs for one minute, um, but like you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of um, a lot of buzz there, and and, and that the hope has got to be that that translates to as you were saying value. But for me as well, like more more kind of interesting products and services because I do I do still have this concern that we will end up with. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is the final question on this section before we move on. Do you both think the effect of the pandemic will be more people being risk conscious and buying insurance or more people being either not having the money to buy it or being like, well, that didn't work, particularly for a small business in the UK. Not going to bother with that next year. I'm going to self-insure and just chuck the money in the bank or Bitcoin. Um, you know, John, I'll come to you first on that and then Rick will let you, you give your answer as well. Yes, I'll probably break that down into to a couple of bits. So, so firstly, um, I think people are more aware of insurance. Um, you know, there's always a saying that, uh, you know, the insurance, we talk about value, the only value you used to get from insurers was if you had a claim. Uh, claims doesn't necessarily win you business, but it can certainly lose you business. Um, and I think with regards to what happened to, with business interruption and the pandemic was you know, it left a bitter taste in some people's mouths. Others had a positive experience. So um, what I think it has done is raise an awareness that everybody needs insurance. So I don't think it's going to be people self-insure. I think people will recognize they need insurance more, but they will be a lot more savvy as to what they are covered for and what they aren't. So I think this has to manifest itself then into, you know, clear definitions, clear language, what you get, what you don't get. So I think products and services have to be just be simpler and easier to understand and people know what they're absolutely covered for. Yeah. And Rick, quickly, you know, just your response to that. Do you think more people will buy insurance because they're more aware of it and they're more like risk aware? Or do you think fewer people will do it because they don't have the money or they don't see the value? Yeah, I, th I think it, I think it is truly the consummate chicken and the egg thing that we have going on right now. And what I mean is, yes, I think because of the pandemic, people are very much more aware of what's important to them, what's what's valuable, where they, you know, protecting what they have. I think it gave us all a little more sense of um, of our mortality, not to be 
glum, but uh, and and but now that's that's the yes, I think they will. Um, my my other side to that is that that also translates into a lot of undereducated and to John's point, not a lot of clear understanding. If you go online, like I, I don't know if you have the same commercials there, but 15 minutes can save you 15% on your car insurance is a slogan of a large company of ours. Yeah, I could save 15% easily in 15 minutes. I could probably save 50% by going online, but I know about insurance, so I wouldn't do that because I would be lowering coverages to a point where I'm not protected. So my concern there is, yes, I think more people will, I don't think they won't buy I think they'll go and try to get it as expeditiously and as seamlessly as they can. But where where, where there's a ugh, yikes moment for me is uh, these aren't professional insurance people. These are just people. And they have created a scenario where everything is online. Everything is easy. And if we don't, if, if we don't do a better job of educating them or they don't speak to someone who understands insurance, we are talking about your most prized possessions, your home, your your family, your your future earnings. So I, I still think we have a, a, a disconnect that we need to connect as an industry, which is the consumer has changed. They are going to be spending a lot more time trying to decipher insurance online. Are we doing a good enough job of, of giving them information to make the right choice and not make the cheap or inexpensive choice. I think that's that'll that will continue through 22 as a problem. Okay. Well, I think that's totally fair. I think we probably will be continuing to see that through 2022, but we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back very shortly. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. Welcome back. Uh, now it's time to look at our own predictions for 2022. So, John, I'm going to start with you. Um, you have some predictions of your own. I believe data is involved, but maybe some other things. Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to cheat a little uh, and probably mention a few here with a bit of a story build. But um, I can't believe we've got this far and not mentioned embedded. So that's that's going to be my first is embedded insurance. Um, so I, I think primarily. Um, from my perspective, first of all, is I guess working at 11FS, we do a lot with embedded finance uh, and embedded finance has really gained attraction and supported by things like open banking over the last couple of years. Um, and that's created you know, a huge amount of new entrants to the market. We, you know, we've seen the likes of Klarna, et cetera. Lots of lots of fintechs have, have come in as a result of you know, embedded finance and open finance and partnerships. So I can see the same happening in insurance. Uh, so rather than going where the finance is, uh, the finance comes to you embedded in the products and services that you use every single day. And I, I think that's going to be more and more relevant because um, it, you know, we talk about personalization within insurance. I think it allows for personalization. Uh, I think it helps with affordability and under insurance um, and also it helps, you know, with overprotection. You know, you, you can embed it within a specific flow and something that uh, 
you really want insured. So my, my first prediction is is embedded. Um, if you read the Simon Torrance report, I mean, he, he predicts it's a thrill, $3 trillion market. Um, so key to this will certainly be creating partnerships. Um, and then also, there, I think there's some big roles to play as ecosystem orchestrators who may or may not be insurers. I, I think it actually opens the world of insurance to lots of other organizations and lots of other customer journeys and opportunities. So that's my first one is, is embedded insurance. And my second is you write data. You know, I think all, insurance has always been a data game, whether that's risk data, pricing data, claims data. Um, but data twice a year or once a year that we capture it at the moment feels very outdated. And I think the explosion of real-time data sets and IoT and sensors and telematics, et cetera, really has changed the game. You know, we've seen new products and services launch in a couple of years, which has really exploited this. And I just think it's a trend that will continue. Um, and actually, that will drive us towards sort of highly personalized wrap products um, and services that seamlessly adjust. Uh, so we move from effectively a, a, an annual purchase to almost a continuous cycle subscription-based model. And I think it's data which will drive that. Um, once again, all that data it's not just going to be one organization on their own. I think that opens huge opportunities for different players um, and ecosystem of partners um, to come in and actually provide either new data sources or own that ecosystem. Um, so great examples, you know, ULife and Biomiles, two UK companies that have, have really, you know, taken that data point um, and increase the number of, you know, we talk about customer touch points within insurance. It's typically, you know, just over two. I think they're getting you know, 20 or 30 a month or more um, as a result of this kind of real-time data and customer interaction. So they're my two predictions. I, I think it's going to be embedded insurance and then use of data driving things like um, the real-time data driving things like new products and services. One final point, it's, it's not a trend, um, but I, coming from where I did, I would also love to see what happens with the the rule changes, the regulation changes in price walking. Um, I'm really, really keen to see what the UK insurers, uh, how they react to that, uh, and if we're going to see new products and services enter the market as a result in 22. I know, I like that. They all link seamlessly together. We um, we have a, a portfolio company called Kano, which uh, just launched recently, which does exactly what you've just described in terms of real time, kind of constantly updating the policy um, for small businesses. So kind of as a small business changes, as anything changes their business, if they move premises, if they add an additional kind of, you know, value added service to their to their offering, it does the same thing as, oh, you should update your insurance. It's this much now, or here are your providers, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely a trend. I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of that this year. Um, Rick, apparently I've got to ask you for your predictions, but you've, you've given us them already. Um, <laughs> would you like to build on them a bit? Yeah. So um, I would say when when I was asked to be on the show, I, I kind of went back to, I did a few of these episodes on other podcasts and obviously did one on my own podcast, uh, VIP podcast, get it where you get your podcast, Vertifor Insurance podcast, just a shameless plug right there. Um, in 21, I, I said that I was really excited about coming sort of through the pandemic and the urgency that had been created by the the work from home and 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 where I thought it was really going to uh, 21. My 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 big prediction was that that everyone in the industry was going to really start embracing technology. That was my that was my 21 prediction. Like because it's, it's you know we know the industry has is got 
parts of it that are very laggard and are catching up, always kind of behind the times, maybe a little antiquated. But I really thought that the urgency that had been created by the pandemic was going to push people in that direction to embracing technology. I would say that did happen to some degree, not the degree that I would have hoped or or that I predicted. But but what I but, but what I think I will say now about 22 is what was a kind of a positive embracing of technology. My prediction in 22 now is that there's actually a table stakes of technology this year that I think is mandatory as uh, you know most people in this industry at the agency level at the insurer level they're successful they made it through the pandemic they made it through the housing crisis in 0809 they make they they continue to just chug along and make money um and it sometimes in spite of themselves in spite of their their shortcomings as it relates to technology or something like that so I think this is the 22 is the year where that starts to not be okay anymore. I think that if you are not in a place where, whether at the agency level, the insured level, the MGAs, whatever it is, if you're not using technology for, and I'll just rattle off some things, self-service for your customers, the use of data, as John mentioned, automation, having an open environment that works with other tech in your stack. If you're not there, you're going to start to f- actually fall behind and feel it. So if you're listening to this and you're looking at what, well, you know, 22, don't just rest on your laurels because your laurels are starting to become risky uh, at this point. And where before it was like, you know, we all know parts of the industry where they're, you're like, I don't even know how they make money. And yet they just keep making money. And I believe that we're now at a point where technology has become enough of a forefront in the, the, the companies that are making a difference and moving forward and with all of the disruption and evolution of the industry, that if you're not, you will now start to feel it in 22. That's my big prediction. Uh Number two, I want to piggyback and you just give my version because uh, I I think, John, like I'm literally writing down notes of things you're saying because I'm loving listening to what you say, but data. And and it's the use of data. It's, it's, you think about it in terms of an insurer, insurer, how much data they have and what are they doing with it? We talked earlier about about predictive models and AI for uh, natural disasters and areas that, that that could be at risk. Take it to another level and look at like the things we 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 have head on, like pay to use the mileage things in car in auto insurance, things like that. Are you looking at your data? Looking who is at risk? Finding out why, like using a metrics that says, all right, these customers. With these, we have a we have a tool that is at the agency level has two hundred elements in it to tell you why a customer might be at risk. Monoline policy, uh, haven't called the agency in this long. Like, if you're not doing those kind of this is this is the year for that. Like, like embrace like last year was embrace technology. This year it's embrace your data and not just know you have it. Start to use it in a very productive way within within your organization because it is it's there and it's and it's usable and you can you can do better like i said the responsibility on the insurers to to be better the responsibility on 
uh, an, an agent or an agency, a brokerage to be better and to give more value. Those things are all part of that data scheme. And if you're not leveraging that right now, I think you're, miss, I'm, you're missing an opportunity. And to me, if I was Jan 1 of 22 deciding what I was going to do, I would be all in on technology. And mainly with that would be the use of my data. And I think they almost go hand in hand, don't they, Rick? I think mm-hmm. you talk about technology, the you know, the open open architecture that allows for the different data flows in, and then that open architecture allows you the speed of change to use that within your products and services. So, uh, you know, I do think you you hit the nail in terms of both of those, and you need almost both for one to work without the yep. other. Right. One, if you do one, then it'll lead into two. Yeah, and Sarah, you're not getting off lightly on this one. What are your predictions for 2022? Well, it's always hard going last, isn't it? Because I've got my notes in front of me and I've got more investment in infrastructure, check. More accurate machine learning models, better API ingestion, check, check. So I think we've we've kind of looked over those. Um, I think that just to add a bit more color to that, one is that we have talked on this podcast for, I've been doing this for, well, I had done a hundred episodes <laughs> earlier this year. And we've been talking about personalization and better use of data for, for you know, forever. Um, but I think we're finally getting to the point where insurers are realizing exactly to, to both of your points that they need, they need to do it. But I think what they're also realizing, which is really important, and I think the pandemic has helped with this, is that they need help to do that. They cannot do that on their own, particularly the bigger companies with the legacy infrastructures, particularly if you're looking at those insurers who have become the size they are by acquiring millions of other companies and none of those systems talk to each other and nobody even knows you know the departments within the company don't talk to each other let alone you as an end customer who thinks all your pensions are with x or all your products or policies are with x and actually it turns out they're all on different systems possibly all around the world so i think that's my point about infrastructure i think when we're talking about investment particularly in the insure tech space we're going to see more money going into those companies that can help insurers understand a their systems and b ingest and use that data that we've all been talking about as being so valuable um the other one i just want to throw in and um simon taylor didn't pay me to say this um but i think what i'm seeing is actually kind of growing demand for insurance in the crypto asset space so on the one hand if you've got a lot of crypto assets and they're they are worth a lot of money or you paid a lot of money for them you know if your nft is literally worth millions you're possibly going to want to protect that in the same way that if you had a picture on your wall. Uh, you know, there are different approaches to this and there are arguments that would say, oh, it's an NFT, so it's, you know, completely safe just because of the technology that surrounds it and the way in which it's built, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the people who are buying them as investments probably want a little bit more than that. I think we're starting to see insurers move um, in a way which means that they are trying to offer products in that space. But also talking about sources of capital for insurers, you know, there's so much in the way of crypto assets out there where we're really starting to see insurers starting to think, okay, how can we use those to provide insurance-like products, either to protect, you know, things on-chain and crypto assets themselves, or actually use them as sources of capital to underwrite risks off-chain as well. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of investigation in that space but probably not quite as swift a movement or as obvious a movement as there is in the um infrastructure and data space i think Um, to to, to, to that point sarah i think that you know that's a really good example of where you could start seeing things like embedded insurance you know a point of that too john (laughs) um absolutely and this is where i think there's great examples where 
you know, we've put ourselves into boxes in terms of what people buy, <laughs> you know, uh, within insurance. And if you don't fit in that box, it's kind of, it's an all or nothing. Um, I think where we, you know, we talked about it, you know, technology data, you know, different use cases. I think all these things allow us to actually embed insurance at different parts of people's lives and in really relevant moments with context. And I think that's going to be a winning formula um, if people want to break away from their sort of standard commoditized insurance products. Absolutely. Okay. So this wouldn't be InsureTech Insider if we didn't let Nigel Walsh have his final say. So we have got, unfortunately he couldn't join us today, but we have got his predictions recorded in sunny California. And I believe we're going to hear them now. Okay, predictions time from me. Couple of things this year that are going to stand out without question. Above and beyond all the wonderful things around embedded insurance and ESG that will continue at scale and pace, I actually see a Ardonna PIB style insure tech consolidator coming to coming to foray. How do we bring all these wonderful technologies that have started to grow but not yet scaled? and do something amazing with them by bringing them all together in one vehicle to actually help customers out at scale. That's number one. Number two, I think we're going to see a big shift into underdeveloped markets. We've talked about that quite a bit on the show, from the African and Cadogan societies uh, to Latin America and so much more. That's going to be a big untapped area that people are going to go into. And then finally, as you look to the US market, we obviously saw Lemonade's acquisition of Metro Mile get into 50 states. We've just seen Kin Home Insurance do exactly the same thing. Actually buying access once you've raised money to these states, I think it's going to become a thing so we can start to distribute quickly and efficiently in each market. And if you want one more Brucey bonus prediction, the metaverse. Of course, there's going to be insurance products in there. As we are starting to unleash huge amounts of money into the metaverse, there is going to be a risk involved with it. And of course, if there's a risk, we can insure it. So watch out for insurance products focused on the metaverse through 2022. See you all next year. Well, thank you very much for that, Nigel. Um, And on that note, that's all we've got time for today. Um, That will wrap up our discussion. Thank you all so much for joining me. Um, Where can people find out more about you? Rick, I think you've given it a couple of plugs already, but go for (laughs) it. One, one One final chance for you. Throw it in there. Yeah, just uh, I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, it just can just connect with me there. I, I share a lot of uh, not only my own content but other great relevant insurance content as well as like I mentioned the Vertifor Insurance podcast. So LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of me, and I I'm very I'm very open to conversation. So send me a direct message, and I I, I respond to every direct message that I get as long as it is not a solicitation to buy like a phone system or some craziness like that. Brilliant. Uh, and John, how about you? Uh, yeah, once again, LinkedIn is the best. Um, so you can find me at uh, John Bean at LinkedIn, or you can go through 11 of us themselves. And I'm sure that'll route to me somehow. 
<laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave a review. It helps to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or InsureTech Insider. You can find InsureTech Insider on Twitter at Instech Insiders or email podcast 11FS.com. Thanks very much for now, but I'm sure I'll be back very soon. In the meantime, have a great festive season.